Please stand if you are able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 6, 18 through 24. Please read with me the verses in bold. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know him, that you encourage your words. Please be to the brothers, peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have to uh, have to tell you this story about my magic laundry basket. I have this magic laundry basket on the floor in my closet where I keep my work clothes. And when I say work clothes, I don't mean khakis and sweaters for pastoring. What I mean is like project clothes, right? The clothes that I wear for painting and lawn work and home improvement and changing tires, that sort of work. I got a magic basket on the closet floor with work clothes in it. And here's, here's the thing. Here's why it's magic. You would think that using power tools and changing tires, that sort of stuff is the sort of thing that would destroy clothes and that this would, you know, they'd always be disappearing from the basket. But this basket is always increasing in its supply of pants and t-shirts that, quote, can't be worn in public <laughs> anymore. Here's why. Inevitably, I'm out in the garage, and I decide that I need to caulk a seam, and so I just grab the caulk gun, and I blast some caulk in there, and then I smooth it out with my hand and wipe it on my pants, and I have a new pair of work pants. Uh, you know, I, 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 I come home from work and I realize that the lawn needs some attention, so I go right to the uh, garden shed, fuel up the uh, lawnmower, spill some on my shirt, and I have a new work shirt. So uh, the reason that my work clothes laundry basket keeps growing is because I don't put on work clothes when I should. I skip it because it'll take too long. And how dirty could I really get when I do this? And so uh, I put my wife in a tough situation. Sometimes uh, she will stick her head out the door and lovingly and as gently as she can muster say, do you think you should change your clothes? 
No, I'm good. I'm really hoping to get a big bleach stain on the upper thigh of these pants so that I can never wear them again. Uh, The truth is, I'm not sufficiently motivated enough to change my clothes. I do not have enough desire to do it. Last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 6, the beginning of this uh, part of the passage, 6 verses 10 to 17, and we uh, heard Paul's description and even prescription of uh, the armor of God, the, uh, the realization of a, we looked into the realization that there is often a deeper spiritual battle going on every day. Temp, in our everyday temptations and in the challenges that we face, there's, uh, there's a deeper level of crisis in some of those things. That there is a, that there is such a thing as evil in the world and in fact, uh, an evil one who would like to have you join him in actively rejecting and rebelling against everything that brings God glory. But we also talked about how this enemy, the devil, as our passage uh, called him, has already been defeated. Uh, When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he was talking about the defeat of evil. He was talking about the turning point in history when it became clear that death and sin were no match for our grace-filled promise-keeping till death do us part, forgiving God. And we talked about how um, we talked about how Jesus, what is Jesus's, he gives to his followers. He gives us like a, a suit of armor in battle, those things that belong to him. The, the real truth about who God is, we said, he, he gives us to protect us like bulletproof underwear. We heard that Jesus' perfect life, his right standing before God, he gives to you and to me to put on like body armor, like a breastplate. God's word he gives to us like a sword to cut through lies and half-truths and to discern good from evil. We were offered a, a whole laundry basket full of equipment. So what I want to know is, If Jesus has already dealt the death blow to Satan and we have all the equipment we need to stand firm, as Ephesians 6 says, until the battle is completed, why don't we do it? The gospel answer is, Paul's answer implies in these verses that we read this morning is that we don't do it because we do not have enough desire to do it, to stand against temptation. We like our sin. We hate the consequences of our sin and the situations that it gets us into, but uh, we're not sufficiently motivated to stand against it in the moment of need. And so for this reason, Paul, uh, Paul's final instruction is not to add more armor, but rather to seek to stir within us a desire to use it. So how does that happen? He says we need to do one more thing. Pray. So I want to look at two things in this passage about prayer, and then we'll celebrate the conclusion of the book of Ephesians in our sermon series in Paul's farewell. I want to ask 
uh, just from this passage, so not an exhaustive explanation, uh, but what this passage says about what we do in prayer, and secondly, what prayer does in us. What we do in prayer. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Praying in the Spirit. What is that? You might be thinking, come on, I don't even know how to pray in English, let alone in the Spirit. But uh, this is not talking about reaching some higher level of prayer or praying in some sort of ecstatic state that some people uh, report experiencing or, or even think is necessary. Uh, this, is, this is not that uh, because first, uh, not everyone experiences that, and this is an instruction for every believer. Uh, theologian St. Clair Ferguson says simply that praying in the Spirit is prayer that conforms to the will and purpose of the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus was getting at when he was teaching his disciples to pray, and he said, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Praying in the Spirit is intentionally seeking to pray in accordance with God's Spirit and not my spirit. My spirit is often jealous and it's vindictive and it's arrogant and it's self-loathing depending on the day and what I had for lunch. It could change. But the Scripture tells us that when we submit our limited wisdom and lackluster zeal to the Spirit of God, His infinite wisdom uses all things for the good of those who follow him. That's Romans chapter 8. That includes assuring us that we are his. That includes illuminating God's word to us for our understanding. And in fact, Romans 8 goes on to say that when we submit to the Holy Spirit in prayer, even when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. Somebody who knows the plan is in our corner praying for God's best. That is so reassuring, so reassuring considering how often I don't even know how to pray. How do I pray for this friend in crisis? There doesn't seem to be any good answer. How do I pray uh, for my kids as they try to navigate friends and peer pressure in school? How do I pray for crisis in the world that seems so far off and untouchable and yet has having so much impact in my life? Maybe each of us should take some extra time this week and meditate and consider what thy will be done and praying thy will be done in the midst of our prayers really means in our lives. He goes on to uh, say, pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. There's a, a significant repetition and sort of uh, shuffling of synonyms almost in Paul's explanation here of prayer. Uh, he, his words, uh, prayer, supplication, petition, intercession, depending on what translation you're reading, uh, they all serve to stack up into an emphasis on developing a lifestyle of believing the gospel and expecting God's grace in your life. Expecting God's grace to help you put on the armor of God and stand in faith. Supplication and petition have to do with letting needs be known, whether that's letting your needs be known or uh, the needs of someone else. If you know that you need it, tell God you need it. 
If you know somebody who needs something, tell God that they need something. If you don't know what you need or what they need, tell God, I don't know what they need. I don't know what I need. If you don't, if you can't even find the words to pray, ask the Spirit to pray because the promise is that He does and He will according to God's Word. So uh, what we do in prayer is uh, align ourselves with the Spirit and, and we make needs known uh, to God. What does prayer do in you? What does prayer do in us? I think maybe the reason I ruin so many clothes is because I'm so into what I'm doing, I can't be bothered with uh, the bigger picture, really. I can't be bothered with what clothes I should have on. I've got to make these cuts. I've got to get this done before the rain comes. I don't have time to change. Richard Foster says, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us, he says. If we are unwilling to change, we will soon abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic in our lives. And Paul talks about some of the changes that we should expect to see in our lives as we grow in a pursuit of prayer. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In Mark uh, chapter 14, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took his friends out into the garden of Gethsemane and, he, Gethsemane and he posted them as lookouts. He knew it's going to go down tonight. And he said to them in Mark 14, 38, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Maybe you've heard that in other, in other contexts. Watch and pray. Apparently, in the early Christian tradition, it was something of a slogan as churches taught new Christians how to operate in their faith. Watch and pray. The way to start seeing the bigger picture, to start seeing the world through a gospel lens, is to pray. The way to start having your heart break for those things that break God's heart is to pray. Alertness and prayerfulness are often almost synonymous in the scripture. Being prepared for challenges to your faith is being prayerful. Being aware that Jesus' return could be at almost any moment comes from and seems like uh, is almost synonymous with prayerfulness. Prayer produces alertness and readiness in our hearts and in our lives. And there may not be a more important aspect of preparation for spiritual battle. Romans 5 uh, goes on to give us something of, a, of a, a definition for what Paul says next. Here in Ephesians, he says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Romans 5 talks about how Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension has given us access to God uh, in prayer, specifically as we pray in Jesus' name. Because he has perfect access to God, and like all of those other pieces of armor, he gives it to us, to his believers, to his followers. Uh, Romans 5 says that we have access by faith to God's grace, and then it goes on to say that knowing God's grace can give you joy even in suffering. 
And suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And that's a pretty good working definition of perseverance. Our passage says, with all perseverance, prayer produces perseverance, enduring even in suffering, joyfully because of character and hope that we have in the gospel. Finally, it says, to that end, keep alert with all, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There's one more peculiar thing uh, that this passage seems to imply that prayer will do in our lives and in our hearts. It says, making supplication for all the saints. And there's that, that word supplication again, right? Which means making known the needs of, and in this case, it would be making known to God the needs of all the saints. But if you remember, in the, in the first chapters of Ephesians, Paul used that phrase, all the saints, in Ephesus, referring to the church in Ephesus before, when he gives thanks for them because of their faith and their love for all the saints. And do you remember the scandalous implications of that? Implications that were being lived out in the city of Ephesus, and Paul was uh, drawing attention to the fact that in Ephesus, the church included Jews and Gentiles. The, all the saints included unlikely bedfellows, people you wouldn't otherwise choose to associate with, those people, people with whom you were, we were divided until the blood of Christ broke down the dividing walls of hostility between us. As you grow in prayerfulness, you might find surprisingly or unwittingly yourself praying for the needs of those who you might otherwise avoid. You might soon realize that God is growing a love in your heart for those people, praying even for people who oppose you because you realize that they are not your enemy, right? We've been told that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but praying for their hearts and their needs and for them to find life and hope and, and the gospel in their lives. That would be a radical transformation a witness to a watching world. And Paul gives one example. Uh, he says, here's an idea. Pray for me. Pray also for me, he says. And he doesn't, uh, he, we're not praying for him because he's running, uh, Ephesians are not praying for him because he's running a successful, uh, a, a, an incredibly successful international media ministry. He's in prison. He says, pray for what looks like a shipwrecked and failed mission. He's not building fancy churches in Rome. He's, uh, he isn't even able to visit the churches that he has already planted. Uh, he asks that they would pray for him that he would be an ambassador in chains, which is actually a contradiction. It's an oxymoron because... Uh, it was true then and it's true now that ambassadors have diplomatic immunity, right? You can do stuff and not go to, go to prison. So by definition, an ambassador who's been arrested is no longer a diplomat. But Paul isn't deterred. He has just implored us to pray, even if we don't know how to pray, even if we don't understand or have words 
to uh, articulate what we think God might be up to. So how do you pray for a guy in prison awaiting what might be a death penalty hearing? Paul says, pray that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Many scholars will tell you that uh, getting an audience with Caesar in Rome is an impossibility for a, uh, for a preacher from some side corner of the empire. But it was exactly because Paul was incarcerated and appealed for his life uh, as a Roman citizen that he got the opportunity to share the gospel, not only with the entire imperial guard that was uh, at work in the prison uh, where he was incarcerated, but we believe probably with Caesar himself. And not only that, because God is beautiful and does just fun things, Rome paid for the whole thing. Right? He was transported to Rome in a uh, corrections facility van or whatever it was to tell them about Jesus. Even if you don't know how to pray, the, pray the, the Spirit, it says, intercedes for you according to the will of God, which works all things for the good. Every other Thursday night, um, I have this meeting with a group of uh, rough and tumble um, boys, about eight boys. We call it the Boys Club. Six to 12th graders. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been having a bonfire out and sitting around the fire and talking, and we're studying this book called The Case for Christ. It's an investigative reporter building a case uh, from evidence uh, for about... Uh, um, the reliability of the scripture and the claims of Jesus. And sometimes we've been discovering as we've been doing this, uh, this study that small things, weird, weird little details are actually evidence that reinforce the reliability or the validity of the scriptures, or the message of the gospel. For instance, the weird inclusion of a guy named Tychicus. I was going to pronounce it differently, but Karen pronounced it that way, and I don't know how to pronounce it either, so <laughs> we're going to keep it consistent. <laughs> Tychicus. Uh, why is he here? It says, so that you may also know how I am and how I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know we are, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus. Well, why is he here? I mean, on the face of it, he's here because he's like the UPS guy, right? He came with a letter to deliver it to Ephesus. Um, he, he was sent from Paul uh, to Ephesus. He's the guy, however, that the book of Acts in chapter 20 tells us was with Paul and traveled with him. He's a guy that, according to the book of Titus in chapter 3, Paul liked to send to check on people and deliver messages. He's a guy that 2 Timothy 4 tells us Paul sent to Ephesus. Just a little tag at the end of the letter. A, uh, a letter, Paul takes a, a letter writing custom, you identify the messenger. 
and uses it for us uh, as a time to identify and validate the reliability of the message. You can check this with history. A name, a real person, a side character you might think uh, might seem unimportant uh, to the larger letter except that it connects this message and this letter in time and in space and in a moment in history uh, which makes it for many of us real. Real. 